chapter 17. There we are. Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Just a reminder, uh, Luke has been primarily in this last section uh, from chapter 951 on in this period of time that is uh, probably approximately the last six months of his life, uh, typically called the Perean ministry, uh, a lot of the time spent on the east side of the Jordan River as he works his way toward Jerusalem. And this section especially deals with discipleship, what a disciple needs to be. And I, I think it's one of the greatest sections that we have about the life of Christ. It's not duplicated in any of the other gospel accounts. And, uh, and it's something that, uh, that certainly Theophilus needed and we all need uh, to, to really examine carefully. Uh, the, <clears throat> the final story of chapter 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, just a reminder, I think the, one of the most important points of that is uh, when uh, Jesus has Abraham saying back in 1629, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. And, uh, and then again in verse 31, if they would not hear, speaking of, of uh, the uh, brothers of the rich man, if they would not hear Moses and the prophets, they would not be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Uh, really significant, I think, uh, as far as teaching people, especially, and we need to understand, and they need to understand, this is a great emphasis point, that uh, belief is based upon your desire, number one, to actually desire to the truth, desire to want to know God. You have to have that desire if you're going to go into it with the idea of, uh, uh, well, let me see if I can figure out all the ways I don't have to do this. Then, then you're you're going to allow evidence to hit you in the face, and you're not going to listen. And, and that's what we see in the first century, and that's what Jesus is uh, is pointing out here. So, real real strong emphasis there. Now we're going to go on to another section about discipleship that gets into our kitchen uh, a little bit too much, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a challenge. Before we do, let's uh, let's uh, begin with prayer. Father, we're so grateful to you uh, always of your watchful care, uh, knowing your presence is always with us, that you, uh, that you are the one who cares so deeply about us uh, and uh, is always there for us, is, is so meaningful. Please help us to take these words about being your disciples and, and make them part of our lives and help us grow in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take this section then in chapter 17. As Jesus now uh, transitions to talking uh, specifically to his disciples and, and how that they are to act. So he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would, be, it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And we could actually go on and, and read the story of the ten lepers too, but, but we'll, we'll hold that off. I'm going to suggest to you that all of this is an answer, Jesus' answer to the question of, Lord, increase our faith. And how can we have the strength of faith in order to be able to forgive our brother seven times? And, and if he comes and repents, then you will, you will continually forgive him. Uh, that was, was the challenge. So we want to connect those together. So I just keep that in your mind. Let's start then with uh, verses, just verses one through four. What are some of the things that, that, that uh, is important to highlight there? What are some of the challenges and things that you would look at and say uh, that's important to highlight? Yeah, yeah. The first thing I noticed when reading this is that temptation comes through someone. Okay. <coughs> people or Satan or something, but it's coming through someone else to tempt you. Okay. Yeah, there, there are a lot of temptations that come through people. And, and in fact, maybe even most, <laughs> uh, they come through what's presented uh, before us. You might note, if you're reading ESV, the marginal reading uses the old-timey stumbling block uh, and or stumbling blocks. And, and I, 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 I kind of like that uh, translation. Again, uh, as I get older and our uh, translators are trying to communicate more to uh, the modern day 7th and 8th and ninth and 10th grader, uh, I, I become a little more frustrated by the, the changes. Uh, stumbling block is, is very, um, very pointed. You are putting something in someone's way and causing them to stumble. That's the picture here. You're not just simply, let me see if I can get somebody to sin. You can be a stumbling block without the desire or the intent to let me see if I can get somebody to do something wrong. You can just simply show a wrong example or you can um, live in such a way in which you're oblivious to another person's weakness. Maybe as Paul would say in Romans 14 or in 1 Corinthians 10, that there are things that you know scripturally are okay and are right, uh, done in the right context, but for someone else they would see it for themselves as if they did that. It would sound like, like he talked about eating meat sacrificed to idols in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. So there's a lot of things that you may not have the intention of causing something, but there's a carefulness that has to be here, an awareness of those around you and how they might see what you're doing or how if they did the same thing you were doing for their conscience, it would be sinful. So again, 
temptations to sin maybe generically makes it sound a little bit too much like I'm trying to get somebody to do something wrong. Well, I may not be trying to do that at all. I'm just oblivious to their needs or I don't care about their needs. Make sense? Comments on that? Yeah. Yeah, you need to worship. <laughs> just the example that you give your yeah, and your children. Yeah. Very, very yeah. And it goes to all Well, and, and, and that's so true. I, I, I argued that point for years. Uh, uh, like growing up and, and then raising boys and uh, invariably little league games or soccer games on Wednesday night and, and things like this. And, and I know a lot of parents said, I, uh, whatever. Yeah, well... Uh, the majority of cases, those particular parents raise kids who are now no longer uh, very strong, uh, if they're even in the Lord anymore. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. If you're willing to sell out, they don't know it's a Yeah. I've mentioned before a, a very, very good friend, loving dearly. And he admitted this. He, he raised his uh, four children. They were very talented. Uh, of course, all of them got in the NFL or... Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they were very talented. Never, never, ever missed church. They never, ever missed church for a game. But as he said to me, the game was the passion, not the Lord. And that was quite evident in their life. And they lost almost all of their children, uh, and uh, it's, it's a heartbreaking. I would bring this up for someone who might be going through this for the first time, but I will for this class. The word stumbling block is actually not a negative word. In fact, in First Corinthians, we find was a stumbling block to the Jews. Yes. So if you think of it for us, think of it in that context, then how does that play into what we can be? what we can be. In that sense, if we're teaching the gospel, we may, the gospel itself may be something that trips someone up. Yeah. It's difficult for them to um, accept. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, here, it's definitely in a negative, negative. context, yeah. so we can't miss that. But I just say that for our own edification yeah. in this class. Definitely not something I'll break here with you. Yeah. I think it helps us to put the role of a stumbling block in mind. That, that fits as a matter. Yeah, fits as a matter of fact. Uh, Jesus, uh, when he's teaching Mark seven, Matthew fifteen, when he's teaching about uh, clean and unclean and all this, and he rebukes the Pharisees and taught, says, "The ends, you know, you you uh, you clean the outside and all that." As he says in Matthew twenty three words, but uh, uh, the the uh, disciples said, do you, "Do you know you offended the Pharisees when you said that?" <laughs> and you, you can almost see Jesus chuckling on the inside, but his reply is, um, when the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch, leave them alone. <laughs> they are, you know, they're, they're wicked. Joshua. Um, do you think if we confess our sins to one? No, don't, never do that. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's extremely embarrassing, so don't ever do that. Even though James said to do it, but other than that. <laughs> yes, I mean, obviously, it is, it, it is difficult to help somebody if you're not honest about yourself. If you, if you cannot uh, 
put yourself in their position and say, man, I know what you're going through. I have absolutely been there. I have failed in these ways. Here is how I have tried to overcome that. Maybe I can help you since I've been there and done that, so to speak. Yeah, obviously. Uh, and uh, su such, a, such a big mistake. Uh, I'm just talking to one of my boys this last week, and, and I said, you are doing some of the things that I did, and I want to save you from it. <laughs> Let me show you how this will work out if you don't make some changes. It, it, but if I just went and started preaching at him like a dad, uh, he, he, he'd probably go, oh, you just think you're so, you know, dad was always perfect. You know, he never had these struggles. Well, that'd be silly. You know, we, we, we can't do that. But yeah, good, good point. All right, all right, what else in this text? What are some of the things here that you see that we would want to uh, highlight here or something that you find interesting? Jacob? Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. These things are going to happen. Don't let it be you. <laughs> That's that, yeah. They they are going to happen. Don't let it be you. Uh, notice the the uh, his uh, uh, his analogy. It would be better for you for that person to have a millstone hung around their neck and cast in the depth of the sea than to cause uh, someone to stumble and, and what's the word how does he describe someone that he might cause stumble what how do you describe them yeah children or little ones you know he's not talking about a little child he's talking about somebody who's frail spiritually someone who uh, could easily fail. All of us could, but some are especially in that, uh, that stage where this, this could be difficult for them. That is difficult. May I just jump in for all of us who are older? You know, sometimes we forget the challenges of youth and uh, some young person is going through uh, difficult times on their faith and things like this. And it's too easy to go, well, just, you know, <laughs> just do it, <laughs> all that kind of stuff and, and forget the, the similar struggles uh, that we had. There's a compassion that we have to have there. All right. Yeah. Maybe the point I get from this is that they don't end. <coughs> you will be tempted. Yes. You will be tempted all your life. Yeah. And you have to. So that's coming. Yeah. And you have to learn not to let somebody cause you to stumble, too. Uh, that, that, that's a growth process, but you have to get to the point where you are strong enough and independent enough or dependent enough on God and not on somebody else that you're going to let them pull you aside just because of the things that they choose to do. Uh, and the things that you see them doing, and you know full well that uh, that's compromising. You ju you you have to be more dependent on God. Isn't it interesting? Uh, always thought this was just amazing, but it's such a lesson. Uh, when you look at the kings of Israel and the periods of time of Israel's history, it was a good king. People did good. It was a bad king. The people did bad, and always looked and went. Does, cannot anybody stand up when there's a bad king and say, ah, not doing it? <laughs> not if they want to live. <laughs> and many died. Yeah, 
You know, Manasseh shed a lot of innocent blood, but you, this, this kind of thing, you see it happen in our country. Uh, I don't know which it is, but it's probably a little of both. As people get bad, the leadership gets worse. As the leadership gets worse, the people get bad. You know? <laughs> but it, it's all with that. Danny. Well, I was just thinking that this has to deal with, <clears throat> mainly with peer pressure. When I was in yeah. high school, a lot of people. Oh, well, I get over. I want that. Whatever. <laughs> no, that's not the case. It's, it's not. Just, that's right. It's different types, but you still have the same challenges. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And that's where your dependency and knowledge of the Word of God and allowing God to always guide you, because you're going to be out of sorts with the world. It, there's just no question about that. We are going to live in, an, in a way that we are not going to fit in with the world. And if you f start fitting in, start taking a look at yourself. <laughs> there's usually something wrong if you're fitting in. Uh, we just don't. We don't even fit in. Uh, people who are following the Bible and intent on following God don't even fit in with the common religious world, much less, or, or the common Christianity, quote-unquote. So we have to be very, very careful with this. Look, look carefully now. Uh, that, those last couple of verses, verse 3 and 4, you, you haven't said anything about that. <laughs> uh, what's, what's the deal there? It seems like there's two different ideas. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but it really references the person who was caused to sin. Yeah. So, yeah, don't be the one who's the cause, but on the other hand, be the one who is going to try to help them get in the right path. So if your brother sins, you rebuke him. If he repents, you forgive him. Even sinning seven times in a day, and he turns seven times a day and says, I repent, you must forgive him. I, I don't think I've ever exactly had somebody sin against me seven, maybe even three times, <laughs> maybe even two times in one day, and then turn around and, and repent. But uh, notice the commandment, you need to rebuke him. Now, let's do a caution here. The word rebuke sounds to us like it's something really harsh. Uh, it, it's not that way. In fact, in, in the Greek, it's the idea to express strong disapproval in order to, pre, in order to uh, prevent an action or an end result that would be negative. So the idea of, of rebuke, it doesn't mean I'm going to yell at somebody. It doesn't mean any of those. It has to be gentle. In fact, he, uh, Paul talks about that in, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, one, verse 1, about someone who, a brother who has fallen, you who are spiritual, go to him and, uh, and bring him back and do so with gentleness. Even teaching, 1 Peter 3.15, with gentleness and respect when you give an answer. Uh, so rebuke doesn't, in the scripture, doesn't carry the idea of, I go to somebody, I'm really harsh with them, and I, and I yell at them about what they're doing or, uh, or something like that. Good. Good. Before you go rebuke somebody, pay attention to yourself. That's uh, excellent. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that one of the hardest things is uh, you may never have done the sin that you're trying to rebuke, 
but you've done something else. <laughs> and uh, so don't, don't get that uh, uh, highness high <laughs> going on with you. All right, good. Uh, the challenge, of course, uh, uh, when he repents, you forgive him even seven times a day. Uh, by the way, and I jotted down in my notes on this, uh, repentance implies uh, godly repentance. And you get a good explanation of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, excuse me. Yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, where he makes the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Yes, there are some sins where a person truly repents, but it is a challenge for them. You can think of alcoholism, you can think of a lot of addictions and things like that, where that's not just overcome overnight. That uh, It just doesn't, uh, doesn't work that way. Uh, and, and there's any number of other things, anger, anything. If, if you're accustomed to using anger or whatever you use as your anger weapon, if that's what you've done all your life and this is brought to your attention, I, I know for me, I go, well, all right, I just won't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> no, you will do it again, but you need to do something about it. You need to start working on that. And yes, there's going to be at times with sins like that where you're going to say to a brother, forgive me <laughs> seven more times and help me make the, get, get, get to where I ought to be. Big, big, big challenge, especially if you grew up that way. All right. So a lot of things like that there. Now, you can see, obviously, that the apostles make the same statement that you and I would make in that similar circumstance. Uh, Lord, in, increase our faith. And Jesus' answer, what, what is, how does his answer help them? Verses 5 and 6. You know, isn't that a great principle, too, for all parts of our life, our Christian life? There's so many things that God asks us to do that our first response is exactly this. Oh, well, that's like climbing Mount Everest, you know? I mean, what are you, are you kidding me? Uh, people die on that mountain. I can't do that. Da, 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 da. No, but you are going to put your trust in the Lord. And, and of course, Jesus in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 18 especially, tells some really significant stories about that to help us. I think the strongest is uh, the, the one where um, uh, a, a guy owes so much money, 10,000 talents, which was as high a number as Israel could understand. Be like us saying, well, you just owed a gazillion dollars, you know, and there's no way of, of, uh, of, of being able to pay it. And the master freely forgives him and he goes out and chucks, uh, chokes his fellow servant because he owes him 50 bucks. Uh, so the, the, there's, uh, there's that major difference. So if, if I'm going to, if you're going to help me forgive somebody, the easiest way to do that is to say, how much do I owe God? 
well, a whole lot more than he owes me. <laughs> so if God can forgive me, I had better be able to forgive him. And uh, that is uh, critically, uh, critically important uh, to keep ourselves. And again, that's paying attention to ourselves in that. So he gives the, uh, if you're teaching somebody and, the, and you have this, you'd say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted the sea. How are you going to explain that? How do you explain that kind of faith? Or explain what he said there. So I, the person you're teaching is going to say, really? Have you had the kind of faith you ought to have? You could actually just tell a mulberry tree to uproot and go jump in the sea? How do you explain? No? Things that seem impossible to man are impossible to God. There is a figure of speech here. What's it called? Hyperbole. Okay. So uh, it, it is a hyperbole. Uh, and uh, this is always a teaching moment when, you, and I've mentioned this to you before, but when you're studying with somebody, you have two goals. One goal is obviously to help them see the truth. The other goal is to teach them how to read the Bible. If you don't teach them how to read the Bible, that your first goal will not be met because they will, they will never see it for themselves. So you're always trying to help them know how to read the Bible. God speaks, and this is why I would say to somebody, God speaks to us in the same way you and I speak to each other. He speaks in, 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 a, uh, in using all the kinds of parts of speech that we do. Easy example. Jesus, we've already read it in Luke. Uh, somebody says, Herod's trying to kill you. And Jesus' answer was, go tell that fox. <laughs> he uses a figure of speech. So Jesus taught in all the same figures of speech. There have been times when I've actually done lessons on um, being able to what hermeneutics is and how to understand the Bible and just gone through the various figures of speech that God uses in the Scripture. He speaks the same way we do. So don't read it as if, well, this is kind of some uh, God language here. Uh, no, Jesus is just using a hyperbole, like uh, a camel going through the eye of the needle. Uh, it's easier for a camel to go through a high heel for a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. There's been all kinds of dumb, dumb things where people came up and said, well, you know, in Jerusalem there was these little holes in the wall where if a camel got down and scooted, it's good. What a bunch of garbage. That is not true. <laughs> he, he was using a hyperbolic, hyper, hyper, hyperbolic, yeah, hyperbolic, thank you. That's <laughs> all, folks. So that, uh, that's the idea. All right. Now, how does verse 7 down through verse 10 answer the question of increase our faith? This is where, this is where these paragraph markings are so damaging to our brain. And we get there, and we, all of a sudden there's a new paragraph, and my title says unworthy servants, and we just flip our brain as if this, there's, there's no connection. There is a connection, and we need to find the connection. Can you discover it?
Doesn't sound like there's a connection when you first read it. It's kind of go, well, here's a servant. He's in the work and all. In fact, no matter when you read it, don't you get a little upset at the master of the house? <laughs> the guy's been working out in, out in the field all day, and he comes in, and he's all haggard, and he's exhausted. And the, and the master goes, no, 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 you're not eating. You need to clean up. Fix my dinner, feed me, and when I'm fed and done, then you can eat. And when you've done everything that I tell you to do, by the way, just go to your room and understand something. You're an unworthy servant. You've only done what you said. I don't need to thank you for it. <laughs> we wouldn't like that guy, would we? If that guy were God, would you understand it better? Yeah, because of everything he's done. I'm so glad he lets me work in his field. <laughs> I'm so glad he lets me serve him. I'm so glad of all of that, that when I see my brother sinning, what am I going to do if he repents? Yeah, because I'm an unworthy servant too. See the point? So it's actually pretty simple. It is showing us who we are. And I think this was mentioned. Who we are, that's where it starts. If I can understand who I am in the presence of God, I'm going to be able to forgive anything. I can forgive it if, it, if there's actual repentance and true repentance. I can forgive it and renew the relationship. Critical. So how do we do with that sometimes? How do we do when a brother or sister hurts our feelings really badly or whatever? And it's, it's, it's hard. But that's where our focus has to be on who are you in the presence of God. You're an unworthy servant. Comments? Questions? Okay. Not bad, huh? I can't believe we did all of that. We're not even done with class. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I think Bible students appreciate the holiness. Um, it really doesn't matter what we do in this field. It doesn't matter how much we accomplish, how much we harvest. It really doesn't matter. He's holy enough. We don't deserve to be at his table. There's nothing I can do in this life that will make me worthy of that. I can't earn it. No matter how accomplish and over succeed, I may think in his kingdom. Doesn't matter. I'm still unworthy. And so when we understand that, this, this doesn't feel as foreign to us. A thing we could do that would, that would ever make us worthy to sit at his table. Yeah, absolutely. Perfectly said. 
uh, remind you of uh, Matthew 20 and the parable of laborers in the vineyard and the difference between the first hour laborers and the rest. The rest just excited to go into the vineyard. The first hour laborers goes, wait a minute, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> how much? <laughs> yeah. And at the end, I don't know, I don't like what you paid me. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, really? <laughs> Shush. <laughs> you didn't appreciate what's going on. One of the things that said to me was, and you had that attitude, you yeah. got it back. This is the very first statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is the very first statement. And nothing else that we do is going to matter unless we have that. If you don't have that, you're done. And it is uh, a challenge to get our brain out of this worldly thought and of success and, and rising up and being better and competition and all of that and understanding the other side of the coin that I have absolutely nothing to offer him. And therefore, everything is, as Chip said, about being appreciative of what he's done. This is it's, it's foundational. Without that, nothing else is going to matter. You, you can't make it uh, in this life. And that's especially true in teaching others. That gives you the compassion, the gentleness, and all the things uh, that are necessary there. All right, so let's take the, ten, the, the, the cleansing of the ten lepers and let's make this up make, and, and follow up with this. So on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give place, praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. All right. So a couple things that you might see there that are, are critical in the text. What, uh, what, is, what, what might be some things you would uh, want to highlight there? <laughs> You've all heard a bunch of sermons on this, yes. <laughs> well, can you remember anything of the sermons? <laughs> of course not. I can't remember what I preached last week, much less this. Yeah. 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 It's a, so again, he, he's got that same principle, doesn't he, that he's following through with. Is this ungratefulness for what God has done for you is not going to put you in a good position to increase your faith. Your faith can't be increased when you are not appreciative of what he's done and appreciative of who you are and where you've been. I mean, actually, are we not all ten lepers? We're, we're all unclean and he's cleansed us. So there's a strong statement again as to what God is doing and what God has done uh, for us. And then wh where are we going to turn with that? Well, it is an understanding of that great praise for God. Good. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Louis. I think it's interesting that...
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, and, and that the, it's an interesting thing. In fact, again, teaching someone, you would have to explain that. Why did Jesus say, just go show yourself the priest? And answer being what? determined that you were clean. Right. And, and so you had already been, when you first saw the leprous spots, you would have gone to the priest. He would have looked at them. He had gone through a, a process and then pronounced you leprous and unclean. When you would became cleansed, it was necessary to go back to the priest and prove that you were now uh, clean in him to pronounce you clean. So what Jesus does is asking them by faith, just go to the priest. And, you know, you can imagine these lepers might have thought, well, all ten of them dead. Well, okay, um, well, we'll go to the priest. And boom, as soon as they turn to go, they're healed. Only one of them, uh, though, stops and turns back. And what's Jesus highlight about the one? Yeah, Rebecca. Jesus is teaching, uh, or Luke is teaching Theophilus, who is a Gentile, and this would be encouragement, who is a foreigner, who is accepted and honored and, uh, and, and spoke well of by Jesus because he turned and gave praise and thanks to God. Uh, absolutely. And as you said, uh, the, the character of the overall character of the Jewish nation had been not to appreciate what God had done. I mean, you see it all through the prophets. Uh, their reactions to the mercy of God were horrible. And that's what God screamed about the entire time. They did not appreciate what God had done for them. And we can't make that same mistake. That was very good. Okay, anything else on that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I always, I've always thought it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, well, those nine are about to find out again. No. But that's what you want to Like you got your no chance, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, and I, I think that that's a that's a part of the gospel. Lots of yeah. us in this building, for sure, who at various times have enjoyed the blessings of being part of God's family, yet not taken all the responsibilities that would be called to bear. And thankfully, we don't immediately get cast out. everybody would did it this but there is no way when I first came to Christ that I appreciated what he had done as much as I do today there isn't any way 
I did not know him well enough or know what he had done well or even know myself well enough to appreciate uh, how, how great that mercy was and how great the grace was. It, it, it takes learning more and more your own failures. I mean, when we're young, we're like, yeah, I make a mistake now and then, whatever. <laughs> when we're, we're older, we go, man, I was horrible. How did anybody even stand being around me? Uh, I'm disgusted. And, and you then feel the greatness more of his grace. You can't feel the greatness of grace until you see, feel the greatness of sin. And Luke has been teaching us that all the way through the book. <laughs> the Pharisee, the sinful woman. You know, you, you keep seeing those contrasts. He's trying to get us to grow in our understanding of our own sin. That's right. Okay? There does seem to be over and over an emphasis of Paul. Obviously, yes, the Gentiles, etc. I don't know if I'm going to be able to is always a sign I have conquered Satan I've conquered sin I've conquered the origin of your illness which of course uh, is sin from the very beginning in the garden so yeah that uh, uh, cri critical critical point here so I've got about a minute and a half L let me introduce something I want you to think about then uh, verse 30 I mean excuse me verse 20 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So we, 
little transition here from the original question. When the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God, and ESV translates, is in the midst of you. Um, uh, some of the older versions say the kingdom of God is within you. Uh, so we, I, I, I would suggest you could you, you certainly could look at that uh, either way. Uh, but here is an interesting question about the kingdom and an important place for us to pause for a second and say, okay, how do we explain the kingdom of God to someone on how has this been maybe traditionally taught that this passage messes that traditional teaching up. Uh, if, you grew, if you grew up uh, on the pew, you were probably oftentimes taught that when you read kingdom, just read church. Anybody hear that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so just read church. Okay, so this text, uh, I would suggest, messes that up royally. <laughs> uh, the church is within you. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I don't think so. Uh, at any rate, think about that, and that'll be our discussion uh, opening up uh, then next week.